Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we'll tell you how best to take advantage of the precious bundle of leaves that are falling down all around you by buying a simple machine that will do all the work for you. But before we get to that easy work, we're going to take some of your difficult phone calls at 833-727-9588. Vicki, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Vicki. How you doing? I'm great. And where is Vicki great? Uh, I'm in Huron, Ohio right now, but heading for Florida. Oh, you're heading for Florida. Um, Correct. Okay, so you're you're a reasonable coward. You're tired of getting those ice dams <laughs> off your roof, right? No, I am a coward. I said if it. I told the family if it snowed in August, we were out of here. <laughs> and what part of Ohio are you in? Up by Sandusky, here in Ohio. Oh, up where Cedar Point, about three miles from Lake Erie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that area. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because I grew up with the ocean. Um, I could never fathom how you would go to the beach at a lake, but, you know, it definitely happens. Oh, yes. You oh. take what you can when you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. All right, what can we do for you today? Okay, I have rhubarb plants here mm -hmm. in Ohio, and since we're going to Florida for the winter and then we're going back to stay full-time, I want my rhubarb plant. Now, and I assume that I have to dig them after the frost, the crowns. Oh, you want to take these rhubarb plants? Correct. You're not coming back to this house at all? Well, next year we will, but I want to do a trial run with a couple this winter. Um, okay, so I'm going to suggest you, you buy new plants for that. If you want to dig up your existing rhubarb, because um, you're probably going to go back to the house at the time when that rhubarb will be in great shape, right? Right. Right. So leave the Ohio rhubarb in the ground. And now, what part of Florida? It's zone nine. Yeah, but what part? Uh, on, the, on the west coast, down below Sarasota, Port Charlotte. Okay. I know that area very mm -hmm. well. Um, I was the guest of the uh, of a fabulous garden club there, uh, Boca Grande. And, oh yeah. Oh yeah, and what? A, geez, they had to pry me away. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I know that area. You're not below the frost line, though. No. Okay. So um, the advice that I have heard over the years, and when I was the editor of Organic Gardening magazine. We got this question a lot, people who had grown up with rhubarb and now lived in a very warm climate. There is, unless things have even gotten better, there is a specific variety called cherry red that is said to do better in warm climates. Now, I would also urge you to visit the uh, Florida State Extension website and see what varieties they recommend. Obviously, if it doesn't do well, you can still grow it as a, quote, annual and re right. replace it every year. Um, but the advice that I remember is plant it where it gets morning sun, but definitely afternoon shade. So it doesn't, it doesn't get overheated. Water it well and make sure it's well fed. A rhubarb is a very hungry plant. As you probably know, yeah. uh, the instructions are generally to plant it in a, in a pit of uh, completely rotted manure or lots of compost 
And in a warm climate, it's going to use up even more nutrients. So have a, have a heavy hand with the composted manure, but make sure it's fully composted because you don't want to burn the right. young plants. Again, there are some varieties that are said to do better. The fact that you're above the frost line is in your favor. So pick the right variety, but uh, you know, Cherry Red is the last one I remember, but the Extension Service may have an even better one that was developed for that area of Florida. And if you have to, grow it as an annual, but that will work and you'll still get your rhubarb. Either that or you can send home to Ohio for some. <laughs> Actually, when we came back, my family met us here at the house and my sister brought me three big bags of frozen rhubarb plus a frozen rhubarb pie that she had made from oh, my freezer. That's great. That's yes. great. Okay, now, my question is, though, if I want to go ahead and try this, since mm -hmm. I have these plants, because I know the people that we're selling this house to, they are not going to take care of these plants. Right. Well, then, like I said, um, you, you buy new plants specifically for Florida, and then when you go back home in the spring, you know, after the harvest or whenever it's the most possible, you can dig them up and take them with you, but are you going to be flying? No. You're going no. to be driving. Right. Okay. Um, just make sure that the people who are buying the house are aware because the plants that are in the ground now, you know, when they bought the house, technically belong to them. Correct. But they can give you permission to take them away. Right, yeah, we've already discussed that. They don't care. Okay, good, good. No. All right, well, we wish you luck. Do you have a guest room? Uh, you know, I, I could use some Florida time this winter. You get to Port Charlotte, or, or do you know where Inglewood Beach is? Yes. That's where we're heading, is that area. Okay, I'll just prowl around calling out, Vicki. I just have one more question. If I choose to take one of these rhubarb plants, Mm-hmm. Now, I, they need the chill time. I understand this. Mm -hmm. Do you put them in, I will wrap them with a lot of paper mm -hmm. and put them in, is it at the refrigerator or the freezer I would, that you put these? Okay, people misunderstand what chilling hours means. That doesn't mean frozen solid. Chilling hours are a certain number of hours between 40 to 45 degrees. Um, obviously, freezing is fine but chilling just requires low temperatures. So this would be an interesting experiment, and I would suggest you um, make sure they are well misted before you wrap them up and put them in the fridge and see what happens. You got nothing to lose. Okay, and now you told me to go ahead and buy or try to find the cherry red or one that's suitable for my area down there, yeah. the brand. Now, usually they tell you not to cut rhubarb the second year, but since this is going to be an annual, I would be okay to cut that on that new plant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. That only applies to perennializing, and you may not be able to do that. Right. Right. Okay. Alrighty. Well, great. Got my answers. Thank okay. you so very All right. much. All right. Bye-bye, Vic. Bye-bye now. All right. That number to call. Write it on the wall. 833-727-9588. Don, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, Mike, thanks for taking my question. Boy, do I need some help. Okay, good. Well, so do I. Maybe we can help each other out, you know. Uh, where are you, Don? I am in Mooresville, Pennsylvania. We're right across the river from uh, Trenton, New Jersey. Okay, very good. Yes, now I know where you are. All right, uh, what can we do you for? I grow sweet potatoes. I really like them. Right. I did it last year, and... I did everything great until the harvest, and after that, I screwed everything up. Um, when I harvested them, I, I think I probably waited too long. I had some mega sweet potatoes, like you know, two, three pounders. Right. And I washed them off and stuck them in the fridge. Okay, yeah. And after about two weeks, I had kind of mushy, inedible sweet potatoes. Yeah. So you want to hear about the secrets of curing. 
Yes, please. So because I I've done my Google research and nobody says the same thing twice. Really? Okay. Well, back when I was the and we're we're relying on my memory here, um, which is always dangerous. But what I remember, our standard advice back in the nineties was you harvest your sweet potatoes. I would not wash them any more than I would wash, quote, Irish potatoes when I harvest them. I wash them before eating. But all, all sorts of bad things can happen when you wet certain plants. So what I remember being told is to take your harvest and put it in a plastic bag inside a cardboard box on the porch of Funkin' Wagnalls. No, um, in, in, in a cardboard box that's exposed to high humidity and fairly high heat for a certain amount of time. I believe it was between one and two weeks. Maybe it was 10 days. And then they should be stored in a, a cold environment, but I'm not sure a refrigerated environment. Can you, well, I was thinking if you jury rig anything like a, a, a cold cellar or anything like that, the mice are just gonna eat them all. Yeah, I have a basement, but that's about as good as I can do. Is it unheated? No, it's heated. Okay, well, um, you know. I can reach a portion of it that is not, I think. that There's an addition onto the house where the, uh, space under there is not heated. Right, okay. Well, I, first of all, I don't think you're letting them get to ginormous size was, was any kind of mistake. Um, in your climate, our climate kind of, a lot of people don't actually get sweet potatoes because it takes so long to grow them. So you had them out there right after all chance of frost was gone. Yeah, it was you know, between Mother's Day and Memorial Day. Okay, yeah. Um, and obviously you planted them under the right conditions. Now, as I was saying the, excuse me. Mm. Now, as I was saying the high humidity and heat, the back of my mind is going, well, where's this? Where's this perfect place? And then I said, yeah. and then I, su I suddenly realized it's the bathroom where, you know, you take a lot of hot showers and stuff. Yeah. So I think that would supply the humidity. Um, do you have an electric clothes dryer or a gas dryer? Gas. Okay. They can't be used for this purpose, but if you had an uh, electric clothes dryer, uh, you could vent the exhaust into some sort of, like, little structure that you make with the box and the bag inside. Um, I used to use the exhaust from our electric dryer uh, to provide some of the heat in my greenhouse over winter. So, it, oh, I, I, I get you. How, how about this? I, I start my own seeds, and so, you know, I have lights and you know, the seed mats, uh, heated seed mats, because I put them on the heated seed mat. I wouldn't, that'd give them the heat, but it wouldn't give them the humidity. If, um, what kind of seed mat is it? Is it a big rubber one or is it one? Yeah. Of, yeah. It's okay. a big rubber one about, you know, two by three or something like that. I would be interested in the results if you put a large pan of water, or as we say in Philly, water, um, on top of the heat mat and then put like a grill on top of that and then put the sweet potatoes on top of that so they get heat and humidity. Um, I could do that. Yeah, and also, I mean, if you have this good of a harvest next year, you can try it all. Now, in the, in the research that you did, did you see the, the thing that I uh, spoke about with the plastic bag and the cardboard box? What they said with the cardboard box is after I do the whole thing with the heat and humidity, mm -hmm. um, wrap it up in newspaper. Right put them in a cardboard box, mm -hmm. and let them sit until Thanksgiving. Yes, yes, that's absolutely true. And one of the things I was confused about was when to harvest. Because well, uh, you know, one, I, so I have, my sweet potatoes are 100 days, and it's been 100 days. Right. Um, 
but I still haven't harvested them. The, uh, the other piece of advice I see is wait till after a light frost. That is perfectly all right. That will sweeten them up. But sweet potatoes are like the potatoes I grow, Yukon Golds and Redskins. You can harvest them at any stage. Um, some people especially like the smaller potatoes um, because they're more concentrated with nutrients and sugars. Um, some people like the size of the tubers if you let them go until the vines die from frost. So there's no right or wrong way. I mean, if you want to uh, play around, do two plantings um, for, far enough apart that you can harvest one without destroying the other and do that like at 90 days and see what you get. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. All right, Don. And I'm less confused now. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the curing process can be confusing, so don't feel bad about that. Yeah, especially if you did it wrong once. <laughs> well, that's how we learn. That's how men learn. <laughs> yes, yes, and I've been learning a lot lately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, we'll die smart. All right, man, take care. Thank you very much. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that there is nothing wrong with leaf rustling and everything about it is right. So if your neighbors put bags of leaves out at the curb for trash pickup, toss them into your pickup. But don't go picking for your pile just yet because we'll be right back with the best machines to use on those leaves and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Later in the show, we will explain to you that fall leaves are not a chore. They are an opportunity for you to discover everything you need to take care of your garden next year except the plants, of course. But before we get to that fabulous information, more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Bruce, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. I'm calling from Blacksburg, Virginia, where it's a beautiful day while we're uh, having our chat. Okay, very good. Uh, Blacksburg, is that more towards central? It's not in the D.C. area, is it? Oh no, it's uh, it's in Appalachia. Oh, okay. So I'm at about 2,100 feet. That's rain not... in my yard flows into the Atlantic. Rain at my workplace flows to the Gulf of Mexico. Wow, very cool. All right, what can we do for you, Bruce? Well, this has a lot to do with how rain flows. I'm curious about how. What the best practices are for planting trees and shrubs on a slope. Mm. I have a lot of clay here, but I've lived in places like California where the soil is uh, unstable and friable. Mm -hmm. And I've lived in places like Nevada where the soil is caliche. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure there are all sorts of people around the country who would be interested in different ways of uh, preparing a planting whole spotting the plant so the root flare and the graft are adequately up, but so that then when I backfill or when I, I do the top dressing with mulching, it doesn't just all run downhill in the rain or snow melt. Okay, so this slope does typically carry a lot of water. Uh, yes, right now it's uh, my own slope is covered with various ground covers like vinca, so I'm not sure how much uh, is, is running off, but I have to take the ground cover out to plant the tree and shrub. 
Uh, why are you um, insistent, so to speak, on the trees and shrubs? Um, because I, I want some uh, vertical and mass on the landscape. Mm-hmm. And don't Just you have, so it looks better. Yeah, don't you have anything besides this slope? Oh, I do. But I have uh, a reasonable sized lot, and I have this horrible planting habit. <laughs> Um, so this slope, um, yeah, it, the whole property is 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 sloping. It's not terribly steep, uh, but particularly with the clay soil, I can't dig very deeply anyway. So some of this question of how to keep things from running off uh, the base of the plants and exposing the roots in the winter is uh, that's something that could last any time of. Uh, of, of year, the 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 slope that I'm thinking is about 15 degrees. Okay, so my first, well, I I have two first thoughts here. One, if you want to do a little construction work and imitate a centuries, if not millennia old, way of handling this problem, is to terrace the slope, break it down into a series of flat areas, one on top of the other, and then you can do whatever the heck you want. But if you want to take the easy way out, which would always be my choice, I'm thinking juniper, low-growing juniper. Um, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. It produces really nice berries. I think you can make gin with juniper berries. Isn't that, um, isn't that how you make gin? Uh, I, I will claim not to know. Okay, yeah, that's what's filled in my bathtub right now. Anyway, uh, juniper is a very attractive plant, has not so much an aggressive root system, but a very strong one. So I don't think it would wash away. And But it, you know as well as I do, anything you can do to you know make the area that they're planted in a little bit flatter is going to be better for everybody. But I think you, you've described uh, the perfect site for low-growing juniper, although I suspect the vinca is doing a great job of holding the soil in place. Oh, it's, it's stabilizing, and I'm thinking particularly in terms of where I would situate individual plants. I'm trying to get a woodland effect in the garden. Well, you know, uh, juniper is a relative of cedar, it's, it's not tall like a tree, the low-growing junipers, but they do have a very foresty feel. Their uh, trunks will get very woody, and they do a great job of stabilizing. Okay. You, know, you, you sound um, suspicious here. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm processing, but I'm also thinking about uh, with... with uh, this is a fairly established landscape. My my hardwood trees are 60, 70 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm 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 thinking in terms of things to do with individual you know, care of feeding sort of the individual plant. Well, then we can always drop back to my um, regular cowardly answer and talk a little bit about ornamental grasses. The tall ornamental grasses that you see all over the place, they're tremendously underutilized in the landscape, um, but they are very good at stabilizing things. They will give you the height you want, and if part of this is to screen off an unwanted view, they are actually very good screening plants. Okay, well, how, on, on the, on planting, whether it were a, a juniper or a, the clump of grass, um, how should I think about preparing that spot so that, uh, again, I don't have uh, the soil washing out from, from under it or from atop the root ball, or since I'm dealing with clay, things getting, the, the not getting enough drainage because it gets into that sort of clay bowl, and I don't know how well that would uh, get out. It sounds like you are a prime candidate for core aeration. 
before you would plant okay. anything, you would rent a machine or have somebody come in that pulls plugs of soil out of your clayey area. And that will lighten things up. It'll give the plants a little bit more breathing room. And the plug holes yeah. fill in very rapidly. But the density of the clay has been greatly reduced so that there's more water that gets through and less that runs off. Okay, cool. All now, right, man? I, well, I do have a garden terror question, if you have a minute. Sure. Well, it's not really in the garden, but I have a lot of leaves that get into my uh, gutters, so mm -hmm. I have to go up onto my roof with my blower to blast them out of the gutter. And because I have these tall hardwoods, I have moss on the shingles. Uh, that's a whole other phone call, Bruce. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I would love to discuss moss on your roof. Um, can you call us back next week or the week after that? I can try that. Okay, because that's, that's a complicated answer, but it's a subject we haven't addressed in a while, and I have a great personal interest in it. So let's, let's uh, say there's going to be a Godfather Part 2 with you. <laughs> okay, I will uh, not shave, so I'll have that suitable mossy look. There you go. All right, Bruce. Take care, okay, man. Okay, thank you, Mike. My pleasure. 833-727-9588. Alice, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking, Alice. And ducky is happy to say hello. Keep your mask on, ducky. Make sure it covers your nose. Um, where, where, how are you? I'm well. I'm well here in Long Beach Island, New Jersey. Oh, I'll bet you are. The weather um, has been fairly decent. Are people still swimming? I think they are um, because the ocean is warm. Yeah, exactly. So that, play, that plays out real well. And the weather is moderate here, which is, which is great for gardening, I must say. Yeah, I've never understood people going uh, to the ocean in New Jersey or New York early in the season, like on Memorial Day, because the water is like 45 degrees. Where, oh, exactly. Whereby after the kids go back to school, that's probably the warmest water you're going to get all season. Right. Plus, there's no one on the beach, so it's nice and secluded, and it's warm, and what's not to love? Yeah, exactly right. All right. What can we do for you in paradise? <laughs> uh, for the first time this year, I decided to grow uh, potatoes. Right, and I grew them. I grew them in barrels, mm -hmm. and I two different kinds. I grew red, and I grew Yukon Gold. I uh, did not separate them. I'm not sure if I should have or not. But what I did was, um, I heard your episode about the potatoes, the the plants producing flowers, the mm -hmm. color of the potatoes. Right, but that never that never happened. So I waited and I waited, and this went on for months. And then I heard recently one of your um, episodes, and you said not, that doesn't always happen. Right. So I, I thought, okay, so I'm going to pull them all up. If it worked, fine. If it do, didn't, it was an experience. Well, I pulled them all up, and I got more potatoes than I could believe. Uh-huh. One of the things that happened that surprised me was the Yukon Gold had little uh, red potatoes attached to them, little, like the, like the size of a marble. Right. I... I don't know if I did something wrong, if this is common. Should I have separated them? Should I have planted them differently? What happened? Well, it's interesting um, what you're saying. Looking back on what I've done, I have always kept the variety separate. Uh, not, for, not for any special reason, just tr try to keep track of what grew well, what might not have done well. But I have seen... Um, these junior potatoes attached to my potatoes. Now, of course, there was just one variety in each right. of my raised beds, or I used grow bags this year. They worked out great. Um, but, you know, once the potatoes really start growing, once all that greenery appears on top, you've got all these roots, and on the roots, the tubers are produced. So right. if the roots are... Um, tangled around each other, it's quite possible that 
a red potato could grow into a Yukon gold. And it's interesting that it didn't get too big. And you say it is firmly attached, as if it was just an offshoot of the same potato. Yes, firmly attached. Well, that's great. I mean, I can't imagine um, how much fun that must be to look at. But uh, there's certainly no harm. You didn't do anything wrong. As you said, you got a, um, a great harvest of potatoes, as did we. This was um, a banner year for potatoes for us. Now, when you harvested your potatoes, did you take one and eat it raw? I did not. Should I have? Well, I just did it two days ago, so okay. I can still do it. Uh, pick a really nice one and run it under cold water for a while, clean off any, any, any dirt or if there's a bad spot. And then you can salt it or pepper it or anything like that, but just bite into it raw. You really? Will, you will be, um, well, the only people who've ever truly tasted a potato are the people who grow potatoes. Because even, even the ones we buy fresh in the store have been in storage. So okay. a fresh potato out of the ground has not lost all of that moisture that potatoes deliberately lose during storage. So some of them are as juicy as a tomato. Oh, wow. Good to know. Yeah, only a gardener can taste that. Well, let me ask you another question about planting the potatoes. When you plant potatoes, someone told me that you plant them deep, and as the greenery grows, you keep adding soil to it. Is no. that correct? And no. Until it reaches the top of the level? Oh, okay. No, that, that sounds more like leeks. Or somebody planting a series of potatoes in something like an open-sided compost bin. Then you would fill the bottom only with your soil, uh, plant like four potatoes, one pointing out each side. Then you could mm -hmm. put on more soil and then another run of potatoes. But in this case, the greenery is going to go out the side slats. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. Let it, me ask you something. I also had, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, go ahead. I also um, was told you shouldn't plant potatoes with anything else to keep them separate. Well, yeah, why? Um, how, how, would, how would you plant them with something else? I mean, they take up space above ground and below ground. Right, but I think they meant not to plant it even next to anything. I did mine purposely in barrels for that reason, so it wouldn't come in contact with anything. Oh, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. I would. <laughs> Another piece of nonsense. Do sweet potatoes work the same way? Sweet potatoes do not work the same way. With sweet potatoes, you take a, quote, seed potato, but you bury it halfway in sand indoors and keep the sand moist and keep it under bright light, and it produces these things called slips, these little greeneries. And after all chance of frost has passed, you plant the slips as you would plant um, annual flowers or peppers. You plant those with their roots just in the soil, but the greenery above ground, and then they grow very fast. They take over that entire bed, and after about 100 days, you can harvest your sweet potatoes. Now, are potatoes always grown in the spring, or can they be grown in the fall, too? Uh, no, not in the fall. I mean, sometimes we always miss a potato or two, and it sprouts up as a volunteer uh, the next year. But no, I, I would never plant. The only thing, really, that you plant in the fall of that nature is garlic. Okay, yeah, I've already done my garlic. Good for you. Okay, well, yeah, well, you have been really helpful. I, apparently, I've picked up a lot of uh, information that was incorrect. So thank you for straighten, straightening that out. I appreciate it. Yeah, good luck. Thank you so much, and thanks for taking my call, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you once again to resist the impulse to prune anything at this time of year, or you run the risk of losing those precious plants. But don't go looking for the reason why at the question and answer section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with the best machines for leaf mulching and more of your mulchy phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to a thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will name the type of machine that is best for you to collect and shred your leaves without you ever bending over. You won't want to miss it, and you won't because it's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Michael, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing well. And where is Michael doing well? I'm doing well in Georgetown, Delaware. Okay, very good. Now, I know, obviously, Georgetown is not a real place in Washington. It's a neighborhood. But where's Georgetown, Delaware? It's, uh, it's actually in the center of Sussex County. Delaware only has three counties. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the small and wonder. It's in the southern part of the state. Um, you, know, uh, it, you know, the state is, a, is the widest in Sussex County. Mm-hmm. It's 45 miles wide. We're up north. It's only 20 miles wide. Okay. All right. What can we do you for? Well, I... Uh, I'm a first-time raised bed garden gardener. Right. For probably 45 years, I used the rototiller. I, I, you know, had rows. I hoed. I raked. I, 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 you know, mulched and did everything like that in a big garden. In fact, I fed my family on my garden. We had a garden that was 40 by 70. Mm-hmm. So now I have a raised bed garden, and I've got tomato plants. Right. And I went out to check the tomato plants, and I saw this green worm caterpillar about the size of my index finger. Yep. And it had a lot of white single dangles on it. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And, well, we, we picked two of them and put them somewhere else, get them away from the ta- tomato plants, because they were stripping the tomato plants. Oh, yeah. No, these... These are, I believe, the largest caterpillars in North America. If they're not the largest, they're right up there. And they are voracious. Um, You probably have the tomato hornworm. Uh, There's also a a very closely related species called the tobacco hornworm. And they pretty much look the same, but they can totally defoliate plants. I had them as a problem when I was a young gardener and then hadn't had them again literally for years. And I guess it was four or five years ago. I went out to my garden and where the tomatoes met the top of my cages, everything was eaten off. And I thought somehow deer had come in with little stepladders or something to to get up there. And then I looked down at the bottom of the plant and I saw these piles of frass, which is a $20 word for bug poop. And they not only eat a huge, almost an unbelievable amount, they poop out an unbelievable amount. Now, those those white dingle-dangles on the back of your caterpillars, each one of those is a cocoon. The caterpillar has been parasitized by a wasp that is so small, we can barely see it. But when the wasp lands on the uh, caterpillar, she injects her eggs into the caterpillar. And then using the caterpillar's own you know, bodily resources, these little cocoons are built up. And when each cocoon hatches, out come more of these beneficial mini wasps. So if you find a tomato hornworm, on your tomatoes that is naked on the back, you can squish it to your heart's content. But if you find it with those, uh, with those birth cones on the back, what I do is I find a tomato plant that isn't looking good or that's a little crowded at the bottom and I pull off some branches and then I take uh, those branches, 
over to a different part of the garden and put the caterpillar on top of them because the caterpillar will be dead very soon. It's really cool to leave them on the plant if you've got enough tomatoes because they shrivel up as the wasps inside get bigger. Um, but then, it, you know, farmers buy these wasps from beneficial insectiaries that raise them. You are doing the same thing when you protect those ones with the cocoons on the back until the, uh, until the wasps emerge. And you really, by the time you can see the cocoons, if they're a good size, that caterpillar is going to be dead within a few days. Okay. Well, I guess we committed a sin then because we thought they were caterpillar eggs, and so we killed five of them. Okay. Well, you know, this is the, only, this is the only way uh, we learn um, and caterpillars do lay eggs, but they don't look like that. It'd be interesting. It'd be like a seahorse caterpillar carrying its young around on its back. Now, what do we do to keep them from eating our tomato plants? Well, uh, you know, really with tomato hornworms, uh, they don't show up every year. Um, oh. Some years they do, some years they don't. But the daily inspection is really all you need. Uh, one of the biggest things uh, a farmer or organic gardener can do is walk the garden every day and just look for changes. And now you know the damage is very distinctive and you know to look for the bug poop down on the ground. And then, um, you know, you, if because they're perfectly camouflaged with the leaves if they don't have right. those cocoons. So just run your hands up and down the plant. And if you find something soft that's not a tomato, Pull it off, look at it. If it doesn't have cocoons, you squish it. Okay. Okay, thank you. That's good advice, and we'll, we'll keep our eyes on our, on our tomato plants. They're kind of at the end of their cycle, but we still have a few tomato plants out there. And don't forget that any green tomato that is fully sized can be brought inside and kept in a cool, dark place, and it will ripen up. Absolutely. All right, good luck to you, sir. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate your advice. All right, as promised, it is time for the question of the week. How to choose the best leaf shredder for you, personally. Anike in Lake Leelanau, Michigan writes, Since forever I've been raking my leaves into a big pile and running them over and over and over with a lawnmower. I say no more. Can you recommend a quiet, long-lasting leaf blower that collects leaves and mulches them? Is there such a thing? Well, this is one of the most frequent questions we get at this time of year. And rather than name brand names specifically, I'll let you in on what I've learned about these machines over the years so you can choose the best type for your needs. Oh, and the answer to Aniki's question is yes. There is such things, or there are such things, or, yeah. Anyway, there are a number of corded electric and rechargeable battery-powered electric leaf blowers on the market that have a reverse setting, a funnel to use instead of the blower attachment, and a collection bag for the leaves. These might be called blower vacs or something similar. Look at the packaging carefully, as there are also electric and rechargeable machines that only blow the leaves around, which to me is less than useless. All of these electrically oriented machines are much quieter than gasoline powered machines, virtually all of which are exclusively leaf blowers. I use the weasel word virtually because a combination unit may exist out there, but if it does, I couldn't find it. And if it does exist, it's going to be noisier, require more maintenance, and make you spill gas and oil all over your driveway every fall. Back to electric. Combination blower vacs will or should have a mulching ratio listed on the box or the product description. It'll be a number ranging from 12 to 20. A machine with a mulching ratio of 20 to 1 means that you can fit 20 bags of whole leaves into a single bag after they've been shredded by going through the machine. These machines will shred leaves into the smallest possible particles, but might make a bit more noise than a lesser powered machine. A blower vac with a mulching ratio of only 12 to 1, which is the low end, 
might be a little less noisy, but it would shred the leaves into particles almost twice the size of a 20 to 1. And in composting, smaller particles make better compost. In my experience, blower vacs with a higher mulching ratio number will have a somewhat higher price tag, but they're much more efficient. For instance, if you're going to hoard shredded leaves in plastic bags for use as garden mulch next season, the higher the listed mulching ratio, the fewer bags you'll need for the same amount of leaves. Some models also have a high and low power setting. The low setting is considerably less noisy than the high one, but it'll take more time and may not shred the leaves as finely. And some models, like a rechargeable Greenworks unit I have, have a variable dial that controls what I will now call the sucking speed. You heard it here first, kids. Durability, if you can believe it, I'm only on my second ever corded electric blower vac. The first one, a Black & Decker model, lasted well over a decade. And my, quote, new one, a Toro, still works perfectly after a decade of use. In my experience, you're much more likely to wear out the collection bag before the actual machine. More about noise. Keep in mind that the loudest electric machine is going to be much quieter than the quietest gas-powered machine. And those gas-powered monsters are the noisy menaces most people think of when they shudder at the thought of a machine that interacts with leaves. So if you want to be a considerate neighbor, be assured that your electric machine will not be nearly as offensive as a gas-powered one. And blower vacs that are set on suck don't blast dust and debris all over the place. Of course, you should always wear ear protection when you shred, no matter how quiet the machine seems to be. Especially if, like me, you already lost some of your hearing at a Bruce Springsteen concert. It was worth it. But shred you should. Yes, whole leaves will eventually break down in a cold compost pile, but it will take years, and the compost will be lacking in plant disease fighting power. And you're raking up the leaves and then bending over to pick them up. It is the firm policy of this show that bending is for chumps. Never bend if you do not have to. Can you use a bagging lawnmower to mulch leaves that land on your lawn instead? Absolutely, as long as that lawn hasn't been chemically treated. Any herbicide-tainted grass clippings that go into the mix can kill plants when used as mulch or to make compost. And finally, rechargeable versus corded units. Corded machines are limited to the area your extension cord can reach, but there's no battery to run down. You can go all day. Rechargeable units are not limited by the length of your extension cord, but the battery limits the time you can suck leaves in any one session, which is fine with me. After a half hour or so of shredding, I'll hear the distinctive beep that tells me my charge is gone, and I'll have to stop for the day, which spreads the workout over weeks at what is generally the nicest part of the year to be working outside. That sure was some good information about the machines that make leaf mulching easy now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read that article over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to steal my leaves if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse of a question teeming towards our garden shore. 
at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please, please, please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, aye, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he offered to become the herald for Galactus in return for the planet eater both sparing Earth and making every container of Roundup disappear. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet, the former Amanda McGrath. Either way, check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. Our occasional cameraman is probably Jeff Frederick and or Eric Werner. If Zach the Tack Wisniewski is in the house, can gentleman John Flynn be far behind? Not to be outclassed, our beloved CEO Tim Fallon is the very definition of a gentleman, except for that drawer full of broken watches. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and like a broken watch, I am correct twice a day, which means I'll be right another 14 times before I see you again next week. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact. Mouse in the house is a common cry at this time of year. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll discuss how you really can use plants to protect your pantry, plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.